0: If you would, uh, go ahead and if you're you're turning to the the passage in the Bible, it's page 95. It's going to be Leviticus chapter 16. So we have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, John uh, was in Luke chapter 10 last week. We're going to take a small break, and we're going to look at Leviticus 16. Uh, It's most commonly known as the Day of Atonement, and so... Um, starting out, I just want to ask, what's your greatest problem? Does it define you? Do we allow our problems or our circumstances to define us? And, and do we dwell on our problems so much so that that's what consumes our thoughts and our life? Um, and, and is your greatest problem, is it? are you still in school? Is it your professor, your next exam, and, and you're always bogged down? Thank you and you're always bogged down by what's coming up next, that exam, or the paper coming up, or or is it your boss, or sadly, is it even your spouse? Do you see your spouse as the problem now? Um, there, there's so many things. Is it past relationships that still haunt you? Um, and is it the thought of losing a job, and so you feel like you have to perform and, and be perfect at your job, or or is it some more serious things? Is it you know, the loss of a loved one. I know um, some of us have, have experienced loss recently, and um, that, that's a, a huge issue and something that people struggle with a lot, the loss of loved ones, whether it's a mom and dad or, or even a son or daughter. Is it our problems that bog us down? Is it our problems that are, are our circumstances in life that we see? As our greatest problem, and I would pose to you today that those circumstances in life are not our greatest problem. We'll we'll get into this more, and and so I think our our greatest problem is the same problem that has plagued people, men, women, for generations ever since the the beginning, and that problem is the problem of sin, and we I don't think we fully understand what sin has done to us, and, and even how sin has affected this world that we live in, and, and so the, the good thing is we don't have to know how it affects reality and, and us to every degree, but we do know from God's Word how it has affected our relationship with Him, and, and how it does even affect life in general, so um, our greatest problem being sin, and in Genesis we see at the very beginning. That God created the world. That God created the world as good, and even you could even say the pinnacle of His creation being man and woman, where He says it is very good. And then just a chapter after that, in chapter three, you see how uh, Adam and Eve they re- they rebelled, they sinned against God. They actually wanted to do uh, to know what was what was good and what was evil, and and they disobeyed God. They rebelled against Him. Uh, taking from the fruit of the tree, and and in that, their rebellion against God, there were consequences. Um, We see consequences to sin today. We see it throughout the Bible. Uh, Sin multiplied after Adam and Eve and grew, uh, so much so that we see God destroys everything on earth in Genesis 6, except for the sparing of Noah and his family. And we see this, this, almost this new recreation of humanity and this world. And, and even after that, sin continues to grow and build and multiply. And we see the, that Abraham, this man of faith who is spared by God, uh, even throughout a famine in the world, he takes him, provides for him through Joseph, who was actually, through a, a, a terrible raw deal of circumstances, sent to Egypt. He was in prison for a while. He came and and started earning favor in uh, Pharaoh's house, and then he actually went back to prison and and then started earning favor again. And through Joseph's circumstances, God provides for Abraham and this lineage of these people to come that God is setting apart for himself. And, And despite sin, we see God's faithfulness, God's desire to provide for his people. And, and so we move to God's provision for what grows in to be the nation of Israel and the, the nation of Egypt, and how he brings them out, and their time in the wilderness beginning in Exodus. And you see in Exodus 20, where Moses goes up to, everybody knows, the Mount Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments, and, and that's where God and, and, and Moses are together. And God gives him the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down. And, and when he's coming down, he sees these people worshiping another God. Um, and, and sin continues to grow and multiply. And that brings us to Leviticus chapter, or le, the, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus sorry, uh, where it's a continuation of the people of Israel. In the wilderness, and God leading them to the promised land, uh, the land that He has said He will give them. And so, the chapters one through fifteen, we see these prescriptions for offerings and sacrifices, and and then that brings us to chapter sixteen. So let's look in there now, if you will, um, and, and the. Sorry, let's back up just a second. The, the main point, for, we're going to be in the whole chapter of chapter 16. The main point is uh, for us to see, or see your need of cleansing from sin throughout the atonement, um, through the atonement. And so uh, we need to see, and it, it doesn't begin with this uh, theology of sin and what sin is and, and it, how it has distorted uh, our relationship with God. But it just jumps straight in and it starts talking about sin with the two brothers or two sons of Aaron and, and it's just assumed that it's it's normative, it's it's what's going on, it's happening already, and 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 it's true because that's why God is instating these offerings and these sacrifices uh, for the, the nation of Israel, for the people. And Israel was supposed to be a people set apart. Um, to God, uh, a, a nation who would display him to the other nations of the earth, and and they weren't doing that. They were sinning. And, and what we're going to be reading in chapter 16 is the height of this sacrificial system that we see God giving them. Uh, prescriptions for um, uh, guidelines for, and so it's called the Day of Atonement. It's still observed today, Jews today still observe it. It's called Yom, Yom Kippur. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, um, but it, it literally means the Day of Atonements. So uh, we usually call it the Day of Atonement, and it occurred once a year. It's the, it's the pinnacle of this sacrificial system throughout the year. And so these these offerings and sacrifices that are going throughout the year lead up to this day of atonement where uh, it's the height. It's what people are, are, or even the priest spends weeks getting ready for this because uh, if he's not following what God has, has outlined for him here, And we'll see later in the text, it could lead to death. And so it was something that's very serious. They didn't take it lightly. It's not like, oh, tomorrow's a day of atonement. Let's go find that calf, that bull, or or that goat. Um, It's something they take very serious. But in all this, we can't look over first, what is sin? Because it it, it doesn't jump out to us, like you see in Romans chapters 1 through 8, where we really see... In Romans 1 through 8, a theology of sin and how it's affected us, and, and then even how God is making a way for us to be with Him forever. And, and you see that in Romans 1 through 8. You also see uh, the Day of Atonement and, and this idea of atonement um, all throughout the book of Hebrews. So if you want to go read more on this, I suggest Romans 1 through 8 and then the whole book of Hebrews. Uh, gives you so much about the atonement that um, it's so rich. So, uh, but what is sin? What's it done to us? How has it affected us? Um, in short, sin is, is a failure to love God above all else in our life. It's, it's a sin. Uh, it's a violation of God's commands. And namely, that is to love God above all other gods. Um, and so... It's a fa- failure to submit and, and a rebellion toward God that brings about a distortion in our relationship with Him, and, and sin causes us, as we'll see, to be unclean before God. And okay, so Joshua, tell me, I've sinned, or at least these people have sinned, right? So, well, what's the consequences? What's the big deal? Why does it matter if, if I sin or they sin or anybody sins? Would well, you know? Does it affect me at all? And and I would say it's, it, you, could, you could relate it something similar to going to work, where you go to work, you do your job, you get a paycheck. It's something you, ha- you receive because you have worked. And sin is similar in that um, our actions have consequences. And our failure to love God above all other things in our life earns us consequences, and, and, and that's what we call sin, is that failure to to yield to him. And those consequences, as we see in Romans, um, it says that everyone has fallen short of God and his expectations for us. And it's not this God who's got his thumb pressing on us and, and squeezing us really hard. It's, he even says his burden is light. His yoke is light. Um, he wants us to love him. He wants us to love him above all things. And, and failing to do that, is, is sin. And, and due to that sin, um, we have earned death. We earn death. We deserve to die. But you say, Josh, I'm still here. I'm not dead. Well, this, this death, as, as we see, is not always, it is sometimes, as well when we read the, for the first uh, couple of verses in, in Leviticus 16, is not always immediate death. But ultimately, it is spiritual death. It is a separation from God, um, and, and who he is, and all blessings of him um, that come from him. And, and so it's not, you say, Josh, I'm, I'm alive today. Well, eventually the, the Bible tells us that we all will experience spiritual death unless we experience the saving grace of, of, of Christ. And so even the smallest of good things that we have here is, is just a foretaste of the goodness of God. And so take all those seemingly good things in your life out because that's God's blessing on you even just living here. Take that out and that's spiritual death. It's an absence of God and all things that are good that come from him. And so that is what spiritual death is, total separation. And, and sin, I, w- I want to be clear, sin is not just these big things that we think like, oh, well, I didn't murder today, and I didn't go rob the bank in Medford Square, and, and we easily associate those things with sin, or I shouldn't be doing those things, um, but sin is much more than just these, what we might call big sins, or uh, it's, it, it's everything, including uh, sinful thoughts. We see um, in the Sermon on the Mount that lust is not just committing adultery, but it's even looking at someone else lustfully. And so um, we can get caught up in lots of sin, and, and sometimes, uh, or we see earlier in Romans that sin leads to more sin, and it, and it leads to this searing or, or this uh, callousness of our heart that keeps us from even seeing our own sin sometimes. And, and so it's not always these really big things where, okay, I've committed murder, that's pretty obvious, I deserve to go to jail, and a lot of other things, but it's much more than just what we would call big sins, sin is, is that failure to love God above all things in our life. So uh, let's look in in chapter 16, we'll go ahead and start reading. If you'll read with me, uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 right now. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd of, for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his, on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put, the, put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel 2 male goats for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats, and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell to the Lord, and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness for Azazel. So we see a lot going on already. We see already that the two sons of Aaron, um, who we learn in chapter 10 of Leviticus, it's Nadab and Abihu, they approach the Lord um, with an an uh, unprescribed uh, fire, and it doesn't give exact specifics, but they died as a result of approaching God um, in a way that was not worthy of what he uh, would accept. And so we see at the very beginning, sin is serious, and, and sin does have uh, very grave consequences. And And we also see this idea of, uh, of offering, an atonement offering, uh, that terminology is used a good bit. And so we see, one, there's a bull and then a ram for the priest and his family. There's also a goat, or two goats, and a ram um, for the, the offering for the people, the, the people of Israel. And these, the, the sin offering is for Aaron and his family. The goats are for the people and... Um, the, some of you guys may have different translations here when it's talking about the goat. Some of it says the goat for Azazel. Some of you guys have, if you have the King James or the New King James, um, I think the NIV also has calls it the scapegoat. It's referring to the same goat. Uh, this, this Hebrew word is hard to translate. It's not seen anywhere else in the Hebrew Bible outside of uh, Leviticus 16. So there's not a whole lot of other passages to draw context from and see what this word exactly means. Um, So the two theories are, one, those who translate it as Azazel, they see it as a proper name, uh, either of an unknown demon or uh, an exact place where this goat was released to. Then the other who uh, translate it as scapegoat, they see it as a compound word that uh, is, is taking goat that means go away. So the idea of the scapegoat, the one who carries away, as we'll see later on, the sin. And, and so that translation, uh, or I, I guess the, the difficulty in that translation of that word, um, it doesn't have huge significance as far as the exact word that we use for it, because it's very clear throughout the rest of the passage what the function of that scapegoat is used so i will because the word's easier to say and i think it portrays the meaning a little better i'll use scapegoat the rest of today um, but the the exact uh, translation isn't 100 percent clear the meaning is still there as far as the function for what this goat's used for and and so this tabernacle where these offerings are being made these sacrifices are being made it is it's got an outer fence that goes around it, and then it's this t- essentially a tent that has two rooms. One's a bigger room, it's the the first part, the Holy place, as it, it's referred to, and then there's this inner smaller room uh, that's called the Most Holy Place, or sometimes people have heard of it called the Holy of Holies, and that's the place that it's talking about that Aaron can only or the high priest can only enter that one time a year. And so that's where atonement, these sacrifices are made, and, and they can only go in that place one time a year. But as you also see um, a little further down, that they have to be very careful in the way that they approach God in this uh, Holy of Holies. And so let's keep reading in verses 11 through 19. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals. A censer is, is essentially a vessel that they use to burn incense. And so that's what a censer is. I had to look it up. So, a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the, co- that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in the front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil. And do with its blood as he does, as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their trans- transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of the uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house, for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all around, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. So here we see... uh, one account but it's of two different things that are taking place very very similar one there's the the sacrifice of the bull and that's to make atonement for the priest and his family and then we see the sacrifice of one of the goats and that is for the uh the people the nation of Israel and and we see this repetition of uncleanness this repetition of sin and and atonement and blood and it's something that we can't overlook. It's something that is, um, as Hebrews 9 says, but into the second holy second only the high priest goes. So that's referring about the room, the Holy of Holies I talked about earlier. But he once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the in, unintentional sins of the people. So this shed blood was atoning for the sins of the people. And... Um, it's something that they, uh, the people weren't actually partaking of themselves, but the high priest, this one person, was going on behalf of himself as well as the people of Israel before God. And so that's really significant. We see the same thing with Christ. He, being the great high priest, as we see in Hebrews, is the one man going before God for us. Making atonement for us, and and so we see that there. Um, then let's uh, let's read verses twenty-eight through, th- uh, sorry, twenty through twenty-eight, and keep in mind the, these ideas of, of scapegoat and burnt offering. So we've already seen the sacrifice of the bull. We've already seen the sacrifice of the the one scapegoat. Now we're going to see about the the, the second gate, scapegoat. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. He shall put on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he set, and he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on the garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. He shall he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp, and the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their their, their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire, and he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And so we see here the, this second goat, the goat that's life was spared, the priest, it, it comes over, places his hands on the head of the scapegoat, and confesses the sin of the people of Israel. And so we see this picture of the, the one goat that was sacrificed there, his blood was shed for the people. But then we also see this picture of this scapegoat who is also representing these people. And, and the sin is, or sorry, it's not representing the people, but it's for the people. Um, the, the sins of these people are being confessed. And, and after that's taken place, then the priest sends the scapegoat out um, away from the people, out of the city, and, and into uh, what some translations call Azazel, or the scapegoat. Um, So let's, uh, this second, um, the second point here is you have a need of cleansing through an atoning sacrifice. You, I, have need of cleansing because God hates sin. He is holy. He's a holy God who um, has never done wrong. He is a holy God who loves us, and he is just. And so let's. I'm going to read for you Psalm five, four through six. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So we see here. Um, from Leviticus 13, but then also in other passages as well, like Psalm 5, that God punishes sin because he is holy and because he is just. And this holy God can't allow, doesn't allow uh, sinful men to enter his presence, to come to him because he is holy and and he hates sin. Um, and, And now this is the time where you get the objections like, well, how can this loving God, how can this just God send people to hell? Or how can, he, how can the, he tell these people that they need to make sacrifices year after year, as we'll see in 29 through 34, to make atonement for their sin? If he really loves people, doesn't Christ tell us in the Gospels that you're to love your enemies? He does. So how can a loving God not save all people? How can a loving God, uh, the blood of Christ, not a- apply to all people? If he is just, he cannot. And this is, it's easy to change the way that we think on justice when we're talking about matters of life and death. But think about it with work. You go to work, and your boss talks about, you guys really need to be on time. So for me, for instance, I am the boss. uh, And when people show up to work late, um, because I'm in retail and I'm at Starbucks, someone shows up even 10 minutes late or five minutes late. There's a huge difference in how that affects the way that we work on the floor, and the way that that affects the customers. And so your boss says, hey guys, I really need you guys to be on time. And there's this one guy every single day. It doesn't matter if the weather's really good. doesn't matter if the weather's really bad. He's always late. He even walks by the boss's office, hey boss, what's up? And he's 10 minutes late today. Tomorrow he walks by the boss's office, hey boss, he's 15 minutes late that day. But the boss keeps telling everybody over and over, through emails or memos, whatever you want to say, the boss keeps saying, it's really important that you guys are here, that you guys are here on time. But there's no consequences for this. There's no consequences. There's no recourse. Where's the justice? Does it even show that this boss really cares if you are on time or not? What about, um, you hear a lot about no bullying. What about the bully who's been bullying somebody for three years in the classroom, on the playground, for three years? He's bullying not just one person, but he's bullying a lot of people in the class. It's, usually, it's rarely just one person that he's bullying. It happens for three years, and finally this kid sticks up for himself. He says, I've had enough. He, he's probably not saying this to the bully, but in his head he's thinking, I've had enough. I've put up with this for three years now. It's, it's done. Either you've heard it, put up or shut up. So I'm going to fight back. I'm going to fight back. If I get beat up, what's the harm? You know, he's bullying me already. At least I can fight back. But actually, the bully's caught by surprise, kind of like the Christmas story that you see on TNT or TBS. It's like the 24-hour deal. The, the kid that's getting picked on fights back. He beats the bully up. And everybody cheers because justice has been served, or at least that's what we think, right? We cry out for justice. We want justice. But then we put God in a box when he says, you're to love me above all other things in your life. You're, you're to love me above your work, above your spouse, above your kids, above you name it. And we don't. We don't. Whether it's for five years or if it's for tomorrow, we don't put it God above all things in our life at all times. We have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and it's so easy for us to see circumstances in life where we cry out for justice. But then, when it comes to to, comes to God executing justice, we cry because we think it's unfair. We make a big deal because how can this loving God send someone to hell or separate Himself from them forever? Because that's what it is. That's what hell is. It's a total separation from God forever. How can he do that? But if he is truly just, if he truly loves, then he's not just going to stay his hand forever and say, you do whatever you please. You live your life however you please. It doesn't matter. And at the end, I'll welcome you in because I'm a loving God. I'm going to stay my justice. It doesn't matter if you kill 100 people or you kill one person like Moses. It doesn't matter what you do, because I'm a loving God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold all the other characteristics about me. Just. Where is the justice? Where is this God? And what does he value? God is a just God. He is a God of love. And we see that love through Christ. Because he doesn't say, you guys have sinned. You suck. I'm going to leave you in your sinfulness, and I'm going to leave you alone forever because you've, you've ignored me. You've rebelled against me. Just one time, not even five years or ten years or whatever you want to call it, however many years. He says, you have sinned against me, but I love you so much, I'm going to send myself, Emmanuel, God with us. Last week, Tuesday, this week I guess, we celebrated the birth of Christ. Christ has come. God with us has come, taking on the form of a servant because he loves you so much. He lived a perfect life. He died a terrible, horrible death for you. On the cross, he said, I love you this much, so much that I've given my life for you. He did Everything that he was supposed to do, he came. He lived a perfect life. He did provide for us an example of what it looks like to be a a God follower, a Christ follower. But he's much more than just an example of what life is supposed to be. He is, as we see in Leviticus 16, he is this high priest that has come going before us to God on our behalf but he's much more than just this high priest. He's also the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice of this bull and this goat that takes on the punishment of the sin that, and, and the consequences that we deserve because of sin. He's also this scapegoat, taking away the sin of those who believe in him. And so Christ is much more than just this priest. He is this great high priest who goes before us. He is this sacrificial lamb. He is this scapegoat, taking away the sin from us when we believe in him. But let's keep reading. Verse 29 through 34. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the, before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you. The atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. So we see the priest was to continually be offering sacrifices, Um, especially this day of atonement was this sacrifice that would be continued year after year after year after year. Because, as we see in these verses, There's going to continue to be sin. The people are not going to be perfect after this one-time sacrifice because the blood of bulls and goats does not save. The blood of bulls and goats does not cleanse you. It's by grace through faith that you have been saved. It's not of yourselves. You can't do anything, but it's a gift of God. It's the gift of Christ. We see this most ultimately in the cross. He's making his march to Jerusalem, to Calvary, to die for you, the great high priest, the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat taking away our sin. But he's much more than just this sacrifice. He's the sacrifice that's a once for all sacrifice. We see in Hebrews um, that, well, let's just look at it. Hebrews 10. We'll read it. Uh, it's 1 through 14. It's, uh, it's a longer passage, but I think it's up here for us. So read with me. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, so the law referring to the Ten Commandments and, and these things that we see um, with sacrifices. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, Uh, These realities referring to Christ. It can never be. By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So because they had to continually offer sacrifices, it was because there was a continual sinning. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so because of that, they had to continue offering sacrifices. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and, s- and, burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, He's that great high priest. He's that sacrificial lamb. He is that scapegoat. But there's something unique and special about this sacrificial lamb that we don't see in Leviticus 16, where the priest had to continually, year after year, offer sacrifices for the sins of the people because they continued to sin, because the blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sins. But by the grace of God, through faith in him, the blood of Christ takes away sins. He takes away sins. Christ was our sacrifice. He took our place, taking on the death and the penalty that we deserved. He took it for us when we believe in him. And it's not um, it, its not something that we, I think we, when we've heard it before, we take lightly. But you may have heard the, the, the analogy or the story before. It's, it's the judge who pronounces judgment on this man who's committed a heinous crime. But then he steps in and says, I will also take this upon myself. God is just, but he's not just just. He also justifies us in Christ. God the just justifies Us in Christ because He loves us. Um, And so the third point, we need to rest in the atonement. The atonement is not something that, um, well, it is something that is a once for all sacrifice. It has happened. And because this atonement is not dependent on us, it is dependent on the work of Christ. We can't do anything to earn God's favor. It is not something where if I'm good enough and my good is better than my bad, then, hey, I might get to heaven. I might be with God. But it's, no, you are really terrible because you've sinned against a holy God. And not that there's a measurement of my sins are more grave than someone else's sins, but it's my sins are so grave because of who I've sinned against, this holy God. And so it doesn't matter if, if, you know, I've sinned a thousand times and you've sinned ten times. We both deserve death because of who we've sinned against. But he has made atonement for us through Christ. And, and so there is no room for uh, reading your Bible enough. There's no room for performing... Uh, religious practices enough. There's no room for uh, praying enough. There's no room for doing anything enough because we can't do anything at all that uh, wipes away our sin, that cancels the debt that we owe God. And because there are consequences to sin, that being death, either we die, the spiritual death, or someone dies, that spiritual death for us that being Christ. So I'm going to read, this is uh, by a professor that I knew. His name is John Salhammer, And this is just a, a description of the whole book of Leviticus, but it, it's very pointed and specific even to uh, chapter 16. So central to the rituals and holy actions is the concept of atonement. The book of Leviticus assumes that the only just penalty for a blatant act of disobedience to God's will is death. It also takes for granted that human beings have gone astray from God's way and have sought their own means of finding blessing. Though this book never mentions it, there was a latent inequity in its system of sacrifices. This same theme is picked up in the New Testament. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These sacrifices thus serve more as a reminder of sin and the need for atonement than as an actual removal of guilt. They had to be repeated regularly to cover the guilt of the people. Thus, something more was necessary to make atonement permanent. That something more, as we see in Hebrews, comes through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. You can rest in the atonement, knowing that you can't do, I can't do anything to to earn God's favor Christ has gone before us and made a way. It's through Christ's sacrifice that God, the just, justifies us. God is both loving, but he is also just. In his pardoning of children by the blood of the Lamb, that is Christ, and judging the wicked according to their deeds, the cross is a picture of a free offer to all who would follow him. Can you say with Joshua in chapter 24, 15, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Your greatest need is not a six figure salary. It's not a comfy house, a car with a heater that works in Boston. It's not, it's not a good family life. Although family is, it is super important, it's not a good family life. Your greatest need, your greatest problem is sin. The greatest and highest resolution solution is Christ, this once-for-all sacrifice, who has made a way for you, for me, to be with God. So the day of atonement, God in Christ reconciled himself to us, or us to himself. Christ is our sacrifice, and I ask you today, trust in him. Pray with me. God, I thank you for the picture of love that you have shown us through the atonement, the sacrifice of Christ, of yourself, coming to earth, dying for me who deserves nothing but death. Help me not to take it so lightly each day. And I ask the same thing for everyone here, that we would love you above all things, that we would see you as our greatest treasure, so valuable that we are willing to trade in everything that we have to gain the one, the most valuable treasure, that being you. So work in us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear that we would know and taste of you and want more. We thank you for the once-for-all sacrifice that forgives sin, that takes the punishment that we deserve, takes away the guilt that we experience from sin, and gives us a light yoke because you are our strength, and I thank you for your work on our behalf. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.